from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Protecting cattle in the cold. When it gets really cold, water starts to freeze up and access to water gets limited. One vet shares what it's like to protect cattle and calves during some of the roughest conditions Mother Nature can throw at them. The orange juice crop faces weather challenges of its own. Well, we're estimating that there is um, almost um, $375 million expected in production losses associated with the crop, and that's just on tree. An update on what's left of the crop in Florida after last year's devastating hurricanes as we prepare for another round of winter weather. A really tough week across the north central United States. A storm moves coast to coast right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Happening right now, a massive winter storm is starting its trek across the country with more than 40 million people in 22 states facing winter weather alerts. The storm traveling from the west coast to the Midwest and all the way to coastal New England over the next few days, bringing heavy snow to the west with blizzard warnings across parts of Wyoming, Montana, South Dakota, Iowa, and Minnesota, along with bitter cold temperatures. The heaviest snowfall is expected in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area where more than 20 inches of snow is forecast to fall. Some of the most significant winter storm impacts will be felt across the Northern Plains and upper Midwest. And that is an area that is going through the early to middle stages of lambing and calving season. So it's gonna be a tough week for producers in those areas, trying to deal with not only keeping water supplies unfrozen and fresh, but to keep food in place and then to deal with lambing and calving at the same time a really tough week across the north central United States. Rippey says while this storm won't produce a lot of rain for other parts of the country, it will bring a lot of wind. He says winds could gust up to 80 or 90 miles per hour from Southern California to the Southern High Plains, areas that haven't seen a lot of rain or snow lately, creating situations where blowing dust is a real possibility and bringing damage to the Southern Great Plains winter wheat crop where it wasn't well established. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joins us now with a timeline for this massive winter storm. Chuck, there's quite a mix of weather on the way. Okay, let's take a look at this big winter storm that's pushing across the nation. And in order to do that, let's follow the wind because the wind is going to be a big story here. You can see it working its way up through the center part of the country into the upper Midwest. And that combined with the snow and the rain is going to make it for a miserable Wednesday. And then the wind slowly works its way off to the east and it's going to get into the New York City area and north over in Vermont and New Hampshire. It's gonna be a messy couple days all the way through Friday. Now the biggest thing for the storm is going to be the snowfall estimates. There is going to be snow piling up in feet south of Minneapolis or even in central Minneapolis and then over again in New Hampshire and Vermont. It is going to be Something else is going to be a messy Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Okay, I'll be back with your full forecast coming up in a bit. Well, the markets were keeping a watchful eye on weather here at home. What happened in Argentina's weather seemed to have an impact as well. Frost occurred Saturday morning in the country's summer grain and oilseed production areas. World weather says western Cordoba in 
East Central San Luis took the brunt of the coldest conditions. One agronomist in the country sharing pictures and video on Twitter of damage in that area with extreme lows slipping near and slightly below freezing in several areas, but mostly along the western fringes of crop country. Now, most of the frost was soft, did not have a big impact on crops, but there may have been a few exceptions. Uh, it was a bit of an unexpected frost now reading some of the reports. Uh, so, you know, they weren't expecting it to have done much damage to the Argentine crop, mostly because so much of that crop has already been damaged by droughts. South American crop consultant Dr. Michael Cordonier says the extent of the damage from the frost will not be known for several more days, but it certainly is going to hurt that crop. Now, he lowered his Argentina soybean estimate 2 million metric tons to 34 million. Another crop that has been devastated by weather is the Florida orange crop. From hurricane damage to disease, the crop has been severely cut. Agnes Michelle Rook looks at how much and how it's impacting prices. Clinton orange production in Florida is projected to be down nearly two-thirds from last year and according to USDA at levels not seen since the Great Depression. The production shortage plus food inflation have driven up the price of orange juice and economists say it may not come down for a while. Florida was hit with several weather disasters in 2022, including Hurricane Ian and Nicole, and a January freeze. Add on top of that, disease issues like citrus greening. The result has been a massive cut to the state's orange production, which makes up 80% of the total U.S. supply of oranges used for orange juice. So we're looking at a 60% decline in production this season compared to last season, with about 16 million boxes of oranges expected to be produced this season. While we're estimating that there is um, almost um, $375 million expected in production losses associated with the crop, and that's just on tree, that's just associated with lost farm income. She says orange juice futures are up 30% on the lower production and at around $236, just off contract highs, but those prices are driven by the frozen concentrate market. Zanser says the retail prices for fresh and frozen OJ and grocery stores and food service are a much larger driver of what processors in Florida farmers receive for oranges and juice. For orange juice, we've seen an increase in price at times, um, not from concentrate price, has um, increased by 10 percent um, compared to last year when we look just at the January numbers. We do think that orange juice prices will moderate in time, but it's just going to take time. Dr. Zanzer says the recovery will come in two stages, with short and long-term goals for the industry. However, Florida producers have a goal of replanting and achieving a 100% replacement rate this season. The EPA says it is ordering Norfolk Southern to handle and pay for all cleanup associated with that massive train derailment in a rural part of Ohio that we've been telling you about. Ohio's governor and EPA administrator Michael Regan visiting East Palestine again on Tuesday. The agency saying it will approve a work plan outlining all the necessary steps for cleanup and if the railroad fails to comply, it will take the steps to clean it up and bill Norfolk Southern for triple the cost. Just over two weeks have passed since the train derailed, dumping toxic materials in the area near the border with Pennsylvania, prompting persistent environmental and health concerns from people in that area. Well, commodity markets saw a pretty nice bounce on Tuesday. Everything except wheat. We'll take a look at that data coming up next. And later, long winters are nothing new for northern ranchers. We'll meet the folks helping to keep cattle healthy during the cold days of Idaho today in the country.
Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Steel Closing Wheels, perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. Those weather concerns in Argentina we told you about earlier, helping to push soybeans higher on Tuesday. Michelle Rook is back with more analysis from Matt Bennett in this morning's Markets Now. And Matt, markets were mostly higher on Tuesday with the exception of the wheat market. Soybeans and meal kind of leading the charge there on the Argentina frost concerns, but we couldn't take out last week's highs. So where do we go now? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big question. A lot of excitement coming out of the three day week and a lot of folks felt like, hey, this thing's going to be off to the races with the frost. You talk about a frost freeze event, but the thing is, it wasn't super widespread. I don't think damage is excessive by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, they've had their fair share of issues this growing season, but I struggle to think that uh, this kind of excitement is going to be something that's going to hold. If we do see follow through buying as we enter into Wednesday's trade, then by all means, uh, you know, if you could get back up where March is over that, uh, oh, I don't know, 1555 level and take out that high, then by all means, maybe you open the door to more buying. But at the same time, I feel like this uh, rally, uh, you know, maybe should be at least considered to be doing some risk management or selling a few beans. You bet. Or you got to get meal back above the $500 mark, don't you? Right. So meal tried to get back over $500 last week. Of course, we had a pretty decent range. You know, we've traded almost to 510 here lately. But bottom line on meal, it just seems to me like we're running out of willing buyers. It's not necessarily that uh, it's a bearish situation. It's just who wants to own meal at $500? And so, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of a tough road to hoe. Corn tried to follow soybeans, kind of got held back by the wheat market, though, didn't it? Yeah, I feel like it. I mean, in all honesty, there's just not a whole lot of bullish news out there for corn inspections weren't all that great. You yeah. know, we know that sales have been better. Finally, we've uh, clawed back into some good sales. Hopefully we'll see those continue to follow up. This is corn's time to shine. Uh, but ultimately, whenever you see double digit losses in wheat, which wasn't going on the whole day, to be honest, it's just that wheat was struggling at a time whenever corn and beans were both rallying. I do think that a little bit of spillover strength from uh, soybeans got corn on the right side of the ledger, a little bit of spillover uh, you know, declines from uh, wheat market probably kept us from going too far. And wheat was weather play with some of these forecasted uh, precip events? I'd have to think so. It looks like you're going to heal up wheat country to an extent. And I think that that's certainly something that's going to be looked at as bearish. I've got to think with other things that were going on in the trade, you see a little bit of unwinding of some folks being long wheat, uh, short, uh, you know, even beans in some cases. Yeah. And I know that's not something people always do, but I do think there was spread action going on today. Okay, thanks so much for joining us. That is Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We'll have more Ag Day coming up. To contact Matt Bennett at Ag Market, call 844-4-AG-MARKET or visit their website at www.agmarket.net. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joining us here to take a look at our national forecast. And Chuck, we started off this newscast talking about the winter storm in the northern plains. It looks like it's going to be severe, quite a doozy. It literally is going to impact almost every part of the country and work its way to the west with a lot of wind, a lot of precipitation, 
and a lot of snowfall. All right, let's go up to the Jeff stream and take a look at what we got with this storm. We have cold air out to the west and along that demarcation line. That's where the storm is going to ride. We're going to get snow, of course, to the north and the colder air, but a lot of warm air that's pushed up on a warm front here just south of Chicago land. So there's going to be a band of icing and then a lot of snow. Usually you see most of the snow fall about 100 miles to the north of the center of low pressure and Minneapolis is going to get hit hard. We could see snowfall totals in the feet up to two feet not out of the question and then that snow band will continue off to the east but warmer air pushes up into the eastern part of the country very very mild then things calm down it looks like over the weekend and then another storm works its way across the united states so the jet stream gives us a good indication of what we can expect here's a look at future radar you can see that mess in the center part of the country and then the snow up to the north and that band will continue off to the east throughout the day on Thursday, even into Friday, then finally it clears the coast and gets out of here. This is a big storm. It's going to be combined with wind, which is going to make a big, big difference in terms of the impacts that we see. So you can see the wind field dragging behind the storm through the Midwest and then off on the East Coast. So yeah, this is something to definitely take note with because there's going to be delays with travel. Precipitation estimates show maybe two to three inches just south of Chicago through Indiana and northern Ohio and there's the snowfall amounts all the way across Minneapolis that dark area a couple feet of snow not out of the question and then all the way over into Vermont and New Hampshire look at the temperature difference 34 in Chicago St. Louis 68 for the highs today then this afternoon things still remain mild in the southeast but much colder up to the north especially with that snowpack down and then it looks like tomorrow 44 in Chicago and warmer down in San Antonio all right here's a close look or a Closer to home, Bonners Ferry, Idaho, looks 15 degrees and one, mostly cloudy skies. Menominee, Michigan, okay, yeah, 27 and 16 snow showers. And there you go, in East Palestine, Ohio, 52 degrees, a low 50 rain with breezy conditions. That's your forecast. Up next, a look at the financial health of the pork industry from 2022. And later, the quiet heroes helping keep cows healthy during the long winters in Idaho. That's today in the country. The National Pork Producers Council providing the current snapshot of the industry and the challenges that lie ahead. It reports after declining 2.5% in 2022, USDA projects growth in pork production for this year. It says retail pork prices increased by 1.5% from December of 2021 to December of last year, but it adds the cost of raising pigs was a record high last year, up 21% from 2021. It also says the tight labor market continues to be an issue for producers. Now, for the first time ever, Mexico was the top country for pork export value and export volume. And a big part of that success was thanks to Variety Meats. The Vice President of International Market Development for the National Pork Board says non-traditional pork muscle cuts were worth 1.27 billion last year. That's out of 7.7 .7 billion in total sales, or just under 2% of the total export volume. Now, a member of the National Pork Board telling PorkBusiness.com that they are more focused now on carcass utilization than they have been in the past. And a leader of Seaboard Foods adding that when people talk about sustainability, they mostly talk about water usage and animal welfare. But he says carcass utilization is the ultimate story of sustainability.
Now, winter weather can be awfully hard on livestock. Up next, meet the veterinarians helping keep Idaho herds healthy all winter long, today in the country. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed, from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. With more snow, wind, and bitter cold on the way, ranchers right now are working to protect their livestock. The Idaho Farm Bureau is sharing the story of Teton Valley veterinarian Todd Tibbetts. He gives us an inside look at how ranchers spend long winter days and nights taking care of their cattle. Well, my name's uh, Todd Tibbetts. I'm a large animal veterinarian. Uh, I live here in Tetonia with my wife and daughter. She's a senior in high school. We have 140 acres here. I'm a practicing large animal veterinarian. I do primarily beef cow-calf work and, and I do some horse work in the summertime when I have time. Monday and Tuesday at nights, it was 41 below here. Down on the Teton River, one of the ranchers down there said he had 52 below, so that's pretty cold. Luckily, we haven't had any wind, so. <laughs> Cows have a certain ability to withstand cold climates. In the fall, they start to put on a long hair coat, and as long as they have good nutrition, they put on a good reserve of body fat that insulates their body. If it's really cold and really windy, cows need a place to get out of the wind, some kind of cover. Like down in, in these cottonwood trees would be a good place for cows to go. Natural, like a willow, willow patches along stream banks are good windbreaks for cows. There's a way to build slotted fences. You don't want to block the wind completely. You want some air movement through there, but kind of the rule of thumb is 80% solid, 20% open, meaning so a slab of wood, a little bit of space, slab of wood, and that lets some air flow through there, but it'll decrease the velocity of wind for about 300 feet past that wind block, you know, based on like an eight to 10 foot high fence. So a lot of guys do it that way. So normally for a cow, let's say, let's say at 30 or 40 degrees, a cow can get by with being fed about two and a half percent of their body weight in an as-fed ration, meaning most beef cows are somewhere between 1,200 and 1,400 pounds. So that calculates out to about 30, 35 pounds a day of hay. And that's decent quality hay forage. When it gets really cold, like 20, 30, 40 below zero, then we need to up that about 20%, which means they need to start getting about 45 to 50 pounds a day of good quality forage. Ranchers that have been in the business long enough understand that you have to feed your cows in the winter. If they lose all their body fat in the winter, they don't cycle and breed back again in the spring very well. So it's a production cycle that most ranchers are very aware of. And I mean, it's the way they make their living, so they take care of their cows. Ranchers, in my opinion, are just salt of the earth people. They're people that they are not extravagant. They live have a pretty simple lifestyle. They work hard and they earn their living. I remember doing a C-section once. It was 20 below and by the time I got done with the surgery and we were in a barn, my tools in my bucket were all frozen. The cold weather just makes it a little bit harder. 
There's a couple of things that make ranching hard when it gets cold. Most ranchers use equipment to feed their cows. Most types of equipment are powered by diesel. And diesel, it's hard to keep equipment running when it gets down below 20 below. And so there's some hazards with working with equipment, mainly get, being able to start it in the morning after it's been that cold. Another worry for ranchers is water, because cows need fresh water every day. When it gets really cold, water starts to freeze up and access to water gets limited. Sometimes you have to be creative about ways to, you know, most ranchers have to go out and break ice in the morning when it gets really cold. When cows calve, they get very protective of their calves. When you're out there helping a cow calve or doctoring a sick calf, you want to keep the calf between you and the mother. One of the reasons I really enjoy my profession is I get to work with people that really care about people and animals. Lots of long days for ranchers right now. Now our thanks to the Idaho Farm Bureau for sharing that story. That's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Dan Clinton Davis, have a great day.